Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source. My co-host is Nicole Vulcan, our editor. We are powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. And we are also powered by Rockin' Dave's Bistro and Backstage Lounge, Midtown's hotspot for bagels, breakfast, sandwiches, soup, salads, and catering. Get in there. Um, we are certainly glad that you're taking some of your time to listen to us chat with the people who shape our local community. I always feel so lucky to get to this podcast as it breaks in on the crazy days that we're having and um, sit with people like our guest today, Amanda Sturmer. Amanda has been producing events, creative projects, and cultural travel experiences for over two decades. She is the founder of World Muse and Muse Conference and London editor for Origin Magazine. She was recent, has recently co-produced a series of documentary films, and her writing has been featured in Origin, Mantra, and Outside Magazine. Thanks for being here. Sure. Thanks for having me. Taking a break from your busy schedule as well. Appreciate <laughs> that. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background before you started producing World Muse. Like, how do you get into something like that? Yeah, it's um, you know, it's interesting because I started out in the world of journalism, um, where you guys are. So I was an editor at Outside Magazine in Santa Fe right out of college. And I thought that was the be-all, end-all, all I could ever want, you know, the dream job. And it was. I loved it. But then I started um, teaching creative writing on the side at the juvenile detention center there in Santa Fe. And that sort of shifted everything. That's when I realized that I really loved working with youth and I loved kind of being in the nonprofit world. I left the magazine and started working for a foundation that did a lot of work with youth and the arts and stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. So a lot of us are familiar with World Muse, but tell us some of, you know, like kind of the origin story of Muse and what were your original goals with that? I mean, it's, it's always so funny how things happen, right? Like, it's never a straight line. So I left Santa Fe, came to Bend, had three kids, was really busy, wasn't sure I was going to get back in the nonprofit world. Um, and then I just kind of kept looking around and, and realizing there weren't, at that point, a lot of youth programs for specifically for girls. And that's really what one of my passions had you know, grown into, um, was really specifically supporting young girls. And so I started working on different curriculums, researching what was out there, what wasn't out there. And then I wrote a curriculum around creative writing and mindfulness for teen girls and started pitching that at different uh, middle schools and high schools and kind of going around and teaching that. And, and that, was, that was kind of the original World that was, Yeah, that was the original. It was a program for teen girls and it was in schools and then it was after schools and then it was summer camps. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, it's great to be working with these young girls, but they need, you know, role models and mentors. And how do we make this intergenerational? So then we kind of added in all the women's programming. Yeah. So, I mean, so I guess give people who maybe are new to town just a little overview, maybe the few last few years of what that's looked like in terms of like the public facing public programming. So I guess it was. 2013, we decided to host our first Muse Women's Conference. And I had done some trips to New York and taken some high schoolers there to a women's conference. And, you know, it was one of those aha moments where you're sitting and you're like at this amazing event and you're seeing all these incredible women on stage um, at the Lincoln Center, just, you know, amazing. And I was like, we need this in Bend. Like, we need this in our local community. We need 
an event that really highlights all the ways that women are creating change in the world so that young girls can look up and see themselves and see different ways you know, to be change makers. And so it was 2013 we started hosting the conference, and that was an annual event for the last 10 years now. Yeah. Yeah, it's long time. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, most people, I, I, you know, there's so many people moving into town and, and so little history, I find. Thanks for giving us that overview because, I mean, from our perspective, it's become such a legacy event and such an important cultural touchstone for for the community, and it's going through these changes. So um, it's amazing. And, you know, I, there's been so much change in this space philosophically. Maybe you could mm-hmm. speak a little bit to what you've seen on your end as you're, as you're booking speakers and trying to keep these kind of events relevant as a, I mean, a decade seems pretty short, you know, in some yeah. respects, but it's also a very long time to be doing a, an event and be in that event space. Right. And a decade, yeah. It's like goes by in a nanosecond and also so much has shifted. Right. And I, I like to think we've grown a lot and learned a lot in the last decade. Um, you know, starting out as specifically as a a nonprofit working with women and girls, and then realizing that that was really limiting and that it was not, you know, inclusive, an inclusive space. And so from there, I guess it was around 2016, we started, you know, trying to open up programming so that we weren't just working with teen girls. Um, we started opening up the conference, bringing in, you know, not just women on, not just having women on stage, and then also trying to bring in diversity in all other, you know, aspects. Sure. Um, it was 2018, I think, when we realized fully, like, okay, we can't be a women's conference anymore. We're, you know, we're a conference about change makers, so we dropped the women's part. And we were just Muse conference. Um, we really tried to focus on amplifying voices that had traditionally and were still currently marginalized. Um, really looking at who was on stage, who was asking the questions, did they have the lived experience mm-hmm. of the, you know folks that they were interviewing, so could they really be you know, asking the, the right questions, the right, most important right. questions? And I think that's shifted um, a lot of the programming for the better and looking at also who was in the audience and who wasn't in the audience and how were we not being inclusive in that way? Like how could we sure, you yeah. know, really try to work to have more equitable ticket pricing and reach out to different parts of the community and, and be more responsive? Yeah. Well, now we're in a different place with World Muse, so I'd love for you to just, you know, share what what does Muse look like this year? Oh my gosh, it's so. I mean, again, the evolution, and I I I love the fact that we keep evolving because um, I think I would be bored otherwise, and because I think it's necessary for organizations, businesses, um, individuals to to evolve. Um, you know, we when. The pandemic hit and we couldn't do an in-person conference anymore. We decided to do an unconference and try to kind of pull apart the way a traditional conference was, you know, put together and, and trying to make it more equitable and more inclusive, you know, and, and uh, more accessible. And we did that for the last two years. Uh, the first year was fully online. Last year was a hybrid which is interesting. A hybrid is not an easy thing to no, pull off. You're doing I, actually two. You're right? doing two events. Right. I, did, I had right. no idea. <laughs> I wish I had, you had told me this before. Last year I was like, oh, it'd be great. We'll have a hybrid event. And someone was like, it's two events. At the same time. Um, so we decided to take a break, to take a pause from the, the entire conference model. We're not conferencing or unconferencing this year, but instead we wanted to put 
our focus on a film. We've been doing some documentary filmmaking on the side, partnering with Unlocked Films. And we really loved the way that films give us something, a tool that lasts beyond the event. It's something that we can share with other organizations in town that they can utilize to get their message out, to you know, spark more conversations um, that schools can use. So we've done a series of documentary films, and we decided to really put more of our focus on that for this past year. So we've been working on a full-length documentary that we will premiere April 20th at the Tower and Madras Performing Arts Center both. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the topic and so on. Right. So it's called Reflection of Life, and it's all around water issues, uh, specifically in the Pacific Northwest, but with a broader look at the entire West um, and amplifying the voices, experiences, and wisdom of indigenous folks. So we have... I think we have over seven different tribal entities that are involved with the film. Um, and we also have policymakers and we have some climate scientists who will be featured. But it's primarily told through, um, you know, the experiences of indigenous folks. And we have three producers, um, three indigenous women, Acacia Red Elk, Spring Alaska Schneider and Bridget McConville. Um, who are serving as producers. So that's helped us to kind of steer it in a direction that feels, you know, authentic to the subject matter. And It seems like you've, um, you're moving pretty quick. I mean, for, you know, that's an amazing turnaround for a documentary and to get the kind of support that you've gotten and the investment from indigenous tribes. I mean, I, I mean, from the outside, it, it, it would look like, wow, they're just... Moving and grooving. What's it been like on the other side, especially coming out of the pandemic? You know, I think it all has it all builds upon upon itself, right? Like I think a lot of the connections and relationships that we built through the conference over the years helped us to you know forge those relationships and connections with the indigenous um, entities that we wanted to bring into the film because a lot of we had connections through different conference presenters um, to different tribes and. So that really helped. And then the fact that last year we um, we did a full-length documentary alongside the conference. And that was Reflection of Self, and it featured um, voices and stories of the LGBTQIA plus community. And we got really great um, buy-in for that film, um, great community buy-in. Um, we also submitted it to a lot of different film festivals. We won a lot of different wonderful awards overseas, and we were in the Portland Film Festival, and um, COCC got it for their library. It's being used in curriculum up there, which is amazing. Wow. Um, nonprofits have used it here to raise funds. So it's we saw the power of having you know a full-length documentary that we could you know reach more people right. than our conference, and so we were like, but if doing the conference and a full-length documentary is kind of a lot. So <laughs> that's why we put, tried to you know, put all of our energy into the film this time. And still we're doing a premiere. So that, again, another event, but a little, but a little different. Mini event. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's, um, you know, one thing I, I find from, you know, having these conversations with creative types like yourself is, you know, for a lot of people, the pandemic was um, – I mean, it's daunting, you know, the things that you've been doing and and those traditional flow of your year, let's say, or your month to month. And, you you know, so many people are faced with those 
with what happened and they, you know, they pivot to, well, we're just going to completely stop doing what we're doing completely. And um, But for other people, it's a pivot and it, it requires a certain level of fearlessness because you're leaving like you have. You're, you're, you know, you, you kept those connections, you developed new uh energy through those lines mm-hmm. but um, i mean honestly wouldn't it have been didn't you have those moments when you're like i think we're done you know i think this is a good point for me to get <laughs> off the train and and uh it's a new world so what, what's that like you know it's interesting because i mean i'm laughing because yeah my family uh close friends would laugh and think she, she thinks that every other day <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's it really is you know the folks that i get to work with and meet you know, in this realm of sort of, you know, social justice, you know, social change world. And I just get reinvigorated and re-inspired. You know, yesterday I met with one of our newest board members, Campbell Dixon. Um, Campbell graduated from Bend High last year, super engaged in the community and is just on fire, you know, like just so excited about like really addressing different issues and, and being a part of the change. And, and I kind of feed off of that. And I'm like, you're right. We can do this. Let's do something. <laughs> right. And and I do feel like um, the other piece of that is that, you know, Muse, for, for whatever reason, it became a platform that, you know, was was a viable platform. It was a known platform, a known entity. Mm-hmm. And so to just walk away from it would seem like we weren't utilizing it to its fullest extent for folks who aren't able to create a platform like that for a variety of reasons. You know, they don't have the same access to resources and, and privilege. Sure. And, you know, we've been able to, to generate enough, you know, resource to keep this platform kind of growing. And so now how do we use it in different ways? Yeah. So last year, you you know, you talked about your film was covering LGBT. BTQIA plus um, issues. This year, you've moved to water. Why? What? What was the reasoning behind water? Why water? I mean, (laughs) I know in my heart why, maybe, but I want to hear your perspective. It's interesting because it it always seems to be community driven. Even when we were doing the you know the conference format where we featured a lot of different conversations, we were always listening to what were the conversations in the community like our local community as well as like online community and then the broader community, you know, out in the world. Um, and last spring when we started, you know, trying to decide, like, are we going to do another film? What are we, you know, are we on board with this? There was a lot going on in our local community around, you know, what was happening in Warm Springs versus a lot of the new development and just a lot of the way, um, you know, agricultural, water rights, all, you know, there's just, sure. it was really like kind of, heating up that conversation and we knew we felt like we really wanted to do something around that we weren't sure what at first and that took a lot of different conversations um and you know really spring alaska we had featured one of her short films in the conference last year and so um she was one of the first people we sat down and talked to like what could this should this look like what would be questions around water you know the indigenous uh, folks were the, you know, the original, you know, caretakers of, yeah, water. of water and had a, a, such a spiritual connection to it. How do we feature that in a way that, you know, makes people care? Yeah. It sounds like a lot of, um, you know, 
a lot of the direction that you take is um, based on listening to other folks and, you know, hearing their perspective and their lived experience. But what's, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking about your background, um, working at Outside Magazine and thinking about like the the element of recreation and water. And that's such a huge perspective or such a huge influence here in Central Oregon. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts about, you know, we have these needs around water and these basic needs. And yet we also have a recreation economy kind of based largely on water. And, you know, what is what is sort of like the the meeting of those two or is there? I mean, I think there has to be. Right. You know, and I think I think like anything else, we can look and we can see the extremes, you know, and maybe I shouldn't say this on air, but I will. But like, you know, a water ski part being built when we're running out of water does not does not in my you know sure. my mind seem like a good use of resources or you know but I, and on the other hand there are a lot of people who recreate um on the waterways you know who fish and boat and do a lot of things who are do want to be good stewards and do want to be good caretakers so how do we put whatever policy needs to be there to, to make sure that we are caretaking the waterways so that we can recreate there safely and ensure that our children and our children's children will still have, you know, salmon in the river and, you know, lakes to swim in and all that good stuff. Well, we we have certainly found over the last year the same kind of um, same kind of interest in these issues that you're seeing. I mean, and, and it doesn't resonate in the media right now as much during the winter because I mean I was just I just did a hike over on Twin Bridges and the Deschutes there is full to the brim it looks like just Mm -hmm. the way I remember it 30 years ago and but I know that's going to change and you know when we get into the summers and it's back on people's attention and they start realizing the the fire threats that we're in and stuff I I do think that there's that dynamic element to what's happening around water in our community that begs for people like yourself to do a deeper dive into these things we're cer- right. we certainly are doing that on our side editorially last year you know we did a we did a feature and ended up in a lawsuit and you know it, it continues we can't speak as freely on that as we'd like, but there's certainly a lot of interest in, especially as you mentioned around development, like how is this water being used? What does the future look like? What is, are we, are we the next Palm Springs, you know, and, um, and what are people who've, you know, been here before us going to say about that? Yeah, it's, I mean, and there, and I have to, I have to, you know, own up to the fact that like, I am going to be learning along with everyone else when I when I get to watch the film. I haven't even gotten to see the whole film yet. It's still in the the editing process. But um, you know, I was not a part of the filming itself. Um, I got to connect our filmmaker Jesse Locke, you know, with some of, with the producers, and then they kind of went out and really found the voices that they thought should be featured. And Jesse's um, you know done all those interviews, and so I'm excited to hear. As, as long along with everybody else, I'm going to be excited to hear like what what they have to say. But um, I do think it's a conversation we need to have, and I think these are voices we need to listen to. And so we'll see. Do you have kind of an idea in your mind of like what would be a measure of success for a film like this? Um, if something happens as a result of it, you right. know, something along those lines. I think you know we always want to spark conversations. We always want to get. Um, our community together to actually like look at an issue, you know, 
pardon me, but to muse on it, really, you know, to really mm-hmm. ponder it deeply, to really think about it like, okay, here's this issue. Now, what can we do about it? And what we're asking the different tribal entities that are involved, um, we're asking them to give us like specific steps that they would like us to share with the audiences. So we'll be looking for ways to do that. We're going to have a series of panel discussions the day after the film on the 21st featuring some of the folks who are in the film. And so that'll be a way for people to kind of engage deeper. But again, we, we want to make sure we have action steps that, it, that are driven by the um, you know, tribal entities who are involved. I think success is that people actually take those action steps. Success is that you know, we can find other avenues beyond the one day, you know, premiere that we can show the film. We're going to be submitting it to film festivals, um, hopefully getting it, you know, into some schools and just making sure it gets out there. And speaking of schools, um, to pivot just a little bit, um, you also do um, work with some clubs inside inside local schools. Maybe touch base yep. a little bit on that. So that really goes back to like how we started. You know, it started out with me kind of going around to different schools and then after about three or so years, I can't even remember now, but we pivoted to doing the club format because it was just a lot, it made a lot more sense for them to be student driven with, um, you know, a club um, director or, you know, from the school itself. So it'd be a teacher or a counselor um, and they would really lead the club. And then, you know, we would just kind of provide, you know, resources. Sometimes we'd bring in speakers um, yeah. during the pandemic. We did like Zoom meetings. And then generally once a year, we do a big like public art project with the youth um, called Seen and Heard. And it's we've done different photography exhibits. We've created short films with youth. Last year, we did a big public um, display of youth portraits on walls uh, in downtown Bend. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and this year we're actually working with the COCC um, Native American College Prep Course. And uh, we are going to be, they're going to be featured in a short film that's going to be premiered along with our full-length documentary. And it'll be youth from Warm Springs talking about their experiences with water. Um, So we'll show that film. And then next fall we're hoping to do another big, um, you know, public art display similar with the big portraits and it'll feature students from Warm Springs. Super cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I guess I'm curious, what are your hopes for Muse going forward? You know, if you had a, if I had a, 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 you know, a crystal ball into the future, what's, what's the big picture for you? I hope that um, it can continue to be a a resource for the community. You know, we have a program called Musemaker Grants, and um, in the past, we funded you know project local projects with small you know five hundred to thousand dollar grants, and we'd feature those folks on stage as part of conference. Um, and that's it's always been dependent on um, you know ticket proceeds from the event or membership. Uh, fees and stuff so it's kind of gone up and down last year we had a business who wanted to um, support that program and we were able to fund a number of projects the fathers group and the helpers and somewhere that's green and sakari farms and a number of others um i would love to do more of that like community grants to folks who are you know really like up and coming projects smaller organizations that you know are really doing great work in the town in the in our local community but might not have you know, access to resources and, and bigger grants and all that. 
Mm-hmm. Well, on a personal level, of course, we mentioned in the bio, you're spending some time in London. You're involved <laughs> in a magazine over there. Um, what's that look like for you, the juggling? And, um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. It is an interesting commute. Um, my, <laughs> two of my children are in uh, school over there in university and grad school, and I've had a family connection there for years, so um, I've been spending more and more time there. And actually, um, someone who I met through Muse Conference, we'd featured Miranda Pleasant, um, I think in 2016, and she's the editor of Mantra Origin and Thrive Magazine. So I've been doing work with her um, kind of through the years on different small um, bits and pieces, yeah. and so she just recently reached out and said, would you come on as our London editor and kind of like, you know, try to suss out stories for us um, on your London stays, and so gives me a nice, you That's know, awesome. legit reason yeah. to be over there, right? That's I mean, right. my kids are legit, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's the, tell us a little bit about the magazine. What's the, you know, what's the focus? So Origin is around creatives and creative living. So they feature a lot of artists. Um, there's travel features. It started out when um, it was originally, I'm trying, I guess it was like 2010 or something when it originally came on. They did a lot more social justice mm. work. And that's when I really got, was more involved. And then, um, and they were sort of in that same intersection of social justice and like the wellness um, you know, mindfulness community, and that's where a lot of my work was as well. And they since kind of split off, and now they have Mantra Magazine, which is more of their wellness origin, is more kind of like creative, creative thinkers, and then they have Thrive, which is all, I think, vegan eating. So so being in London is kind of like the perfect place to tap into creative ideas and new things happening. That must be so exciting. Yeah, it's a it's a fun place to be for that, and both of my my kids who are going to school there are in different art programs, so they're also tapped into that world. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun to go and, and get that, you know, experience. Yeah, I bet. Um, must be such a juxtaposition between here and Bend. I mean, sometimes <laughs> if you spend we're all your time. Like London, don't you think? We're just kind of little smaller buildings. I mean, the museums are a little less <laughs> vibrant or full. Yeah. You know, you know what's amazing, though, I will say, because I want to give a shout-out to the arts community here in Bend. Um, and I know, Erin, you can... You can back this up, but like it is amazing to see the arts have flourished here. Like I see some things at Scale House that I'm just I I love, you know, and I just love that when I first moved here because I moved here from Santa Fe, which is such a big arts community, and I was kind of like, um, <laughs> where's the arts? And it really has grown a good bit in the twenty some years that I've been here, and um, and you know, there's theater and there's amazing drag and I mean that's not London but it's like there's some yeah it's good to have that kind of perspective I mean you've been here a while I've been here you know for a while and you can you can see that you're not just dropping in and seeing what isn't but you can see like how far we've come and and there is so much now so much more than there used to be yeah yeah I mean I look at where my parents live in the Midwest a similar sized town and the amount of culture, community, you know, number Mm -hmm. of restaurants, number of productions, number of concerts. It's really, I mean, you know, we do punch above our weight in terms of our size. Yes. But, you know, as a a comparison to one of the biggest cities in the world, you know, maybe not. Maybe not. But, yeah. (laughs) We need a plinth. 
Yeah. Yeah, like a large <laughs> plinth. plinth. You know, like <laughs> That's what everyone goes to London for. For the plinth. Um, I'm curious, just because you've been here so long, what is your impression of Ben's changes in, in, in our society and culture, maybe beyond the arts? But, you know, are we evolving enough? Are we doing enough to be inclusive, um, you know, sort of going I mean, in line with Muse's goals? Yeah, I think... I think there's always more we could do to be more inclusive. I think that's um, and that's um, that's a conversation that could go on and on and on because that work is, is is so necessary. And um, I think one thing I see about the growth um, is that a lot of folks come have come to Bend, Central Oregon. Um, and they're enjoying this amazing, you know, community. And, but they don't seem to get as engaged with the community, you know. And I think that's probably like something that happens a lot in these these towns that are, you know, gaining traction now that folks can kind of work from anywhere. And um, I think a lot of times, folks who were engaged in the communities they came from, and then they're not as engaged. Um, and I would love to see more of that as an evolution. Of you know, I worry some of the old old guard of Bend are, you know, are moving on there, you know, and so how do we support things like COCC, um, which is such a huge asset in our community? Um, and, you know, who's who's stepping in to, to help with the evolution, to help us become more inclusive and, and just to really, you know, do the work we need to do? Yeah, um, I, I'm glad to hear you speak on that, you know, given the time that you've spent in the community, because I, you know, I often want, you know, it's a perspective between someone who's come here new and someone who's been here a long time. And, you know, you don't want to be a geezer and you don't want to shake your cane at, you know, <laughs> the fact that things are not like they used to. But, you know, I my my perspective on it has been that Bend had a, a really strong identity. You know, I mean, there were just fewer people here. Mm -hmm. There was less big city influence for, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of diaspora, as I call them, move, moving in from the pandemic mm -hmm. and, and the, you know, and, and, and then f finding some time now, it's been so short since everybody's come out of their homes and, you know, how do you assert or, or, or emphasize or grow the kind of culture that you want in this thing where everybody's so new and, and, I, I think we I've said this in conversations with Nicole in some of our editorial meetings. It does feel a little quiet now, whereas I we I think four years ago, five years ago, used to hear. I mean, even if it was, you know, not based in reality, certainly a lot of chatter about, hey, what's going on with this organization? What's going on over here in this mm -hmm. government agency? And um, you, you work a little harder now for sure to get that. To get that information because there are it does seem like there are fewer people right now uh you know flag waving maybe mm -hmm. well we want to wrap it up just give you a chance to talk about anything maybe we didn't talk about maybe give some dates for the films at least right. um yeah right yeah so mark your calendars april 20th we have the film premiere reflection of life It'll be at the Tower Theater and also at Madras Performing Arts Center, um, so you can choose your venue. And then the next day, um, April 21st, we'll have panel discussions at the High Desert Music Hall in Redmond. Okay. So, yeah. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having for being me. Here. It was great.